abiding in Christ. And uh, tonight we want to look at abiding in his provision. Again, John 15, and we'll be looking here at verses 12 through 17. Uh, verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, think about that just uh, for a moment. The first thing we think about there, and it's a good thing to think about, is that we are to love one another. But it's also, we do that because God has loved us. And uh, uh, just think about how God loves each and every one of us. And what an incredible truth that God knows me, yet he still loves me. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. The author of the Bible, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, loves me and cares for me and longs to abide with me. And that you can all say that as well with me, that God loves you as well and cares about your needs. Often we center our thoughts on the first part of that commandment, which speaks about our love for one another. But we can never love others unless we understand the love that Christ has for us. And I have had many days in my life that were not such good days. I think you could probably, you know, you forget, you like to forget them, you know. So you say, well, it's been okay, but, uh, you know, we've all had days when they were less than good days. Maybe it was because of sickness or because of some uh, conflict within our families or some uh, uh, something, maybe the car broke down. Well, that would be a bad day, you know. Something like that. Uh, we can all think of times when they haven't been so good, but uh, we've had heartache, we've had disappointments, we've had regrets perhaps, and yet one truth that still will sustain us is God's love. He loves me. And God's love is more than just a bumper sticker. It's, it's reality. Now, the disciples were just ordinary men, uh, work, hard workers, and yet God loved them. And one of the qualifying characteristics of Christ's love is giving. Jesus didn't ask or just didn't talk about love. He showed his love. As you go on to verse 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Uh, maybe you've heard the name Amy Carmichael. Uh, she was a missionary to India. She was there for 56 years. Uh, she made this statement, You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And I think that's something to think about. Because Jesus expressed his love with giving. Uh, and true Christian love always expresses itself in giving. Uh, true love involves an act of my will to meet the needs of others. Now, if a husband says to his wife, I love you, uh, he must express that love by acting in his own will to meet her needs. And when he fails to give, he fails to provide that true love. And in the same way, when God expresses his love toward us, he does so by giving and it goes beyond words 
He provides for us. So we want to look at this tonight, a, a closer look at this incredible provision of love, the love of God in our lives. First of all, God, God's love provides pardon. God's love provides pardon. Now all men deserve judgment. Look again at verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And to understand the significance of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, we must first realize that all men, all of us, deserve judgment. Uh, people often wonder why Jesus Christ died. And to understand that answer, you have to remember a man by the name of Adam. God created Adam. And when he created Adam and Eve, he created them as sinless human beings. And they fellowshiped with God in the Garden of Eden. They lived a perfect, in a perfect creation. No crime, no pain, no injustice, no disease. But one day, they made a terrible choice. And God gave them freedom to eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And after the commandment was given, of course, we know the story of how the serpent beguiled Eve and she and her husband ate of that fruit. And as soon as they had partaken of the fruit, the Bible says they transgressed against God. That evening, when God came to commune with them, they were hiding from him. And as a result of their sin, God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And since that day, every human heart, every human born into this world has a heart of sin. And they've been born a sinner, and they have a need of a Savior. Romans 5.12 sums it up when it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. Now, as you know, I have five children. Each one of them is unique. Uh, one time, someone came into our home and they said, Look, they all have the same face. Well, that was when they were little. And the babysitter came in to take care of them one evening and she exclaimed, Look, they all have the same face. They all turned to look at her. She came in the door. And uh, actually, they are each very unique, and it never, I never had to teach them how to sin. And you, as parents, can probably agree with that, because we don't have to teach our children to sin. It comes naturally um, with our children. In fact, if you're ever dealing with someone who denies inherent sin, just have them come and visit a church nursery sometime. Okay, uh, they will soon discover that children are not satisfied with their one toy. They have to go and get the other person's toy. And uh, they will kick sometimes and scream and hit and shove and sometimes bite until they have the other child's a toy. Now, who taught them all that? Did you teach them that? No, no one taught them that. Sin comes naturally to every human. So all men are born in a sinful condition. And that means that all men are condemned before God. The 
Bible speaks, of course, of that in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and the payment of sin is death. All men deserve judgment. Secondly, Christ's sacrifice provides a pardon. Uh, some people hear of Christ's death, and, and it has really no significance or meaning to them. Uh, this is because they've never made it personal. You see, Jesus laid down his life to pardon the world from sin and future judgment, and that sounds very broad. But Jesus gave his life to pardon me. He gave his life to pardon you from your sins and me from my sins, to give us a home in heaven. And that's what, uh, that gives Calvary much more significance when we think of it on a personal level. The Bible relates the significance of Christ's pardon in James 5 and verse 20. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death. And God's word teaches the difference between physical death and spiritual death. See, without Jesus Christ, a man must die physically and spiritually. With Christ, a man dies physically and can escape the spiritual death and have eternal life with God. Now, a person will never appreciate God's pardon unless he understands the penalty. God's word says in Romans 5, verse 10, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So all of us were dead in sins, guilty, deserving judgment, and there was only one hope for us, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Someone had to pay for our sin. The only one worthy of paying for our sin was someone who had no sin of his own. And yet there's no man good enough to pay for the sins of men because all men are sinners. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, came, provided atonement for every sinner who would accept his payment. And Jesus' death was a substitutionary death. He took our penalty so that we could be set free. Isaiah 53 and verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. And that we might be pardoned from our sin. We used to sing in Sunday school, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Of Jesus. No church can forgive sins. No baptistry water can wash away sins. Only the blood of Jesus can pardon sin. Uh, secondly, God's love provides partnership. Because we go on in verses 14 and 15, we find that we are friends of the King. Verse 14 says, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have 
that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now the word friend there in that passage means a friend in the court or a friend in the inner circle. When I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I became a friend of the king. Now, who's the king of England? He's just recently become the king of England. Uh, do you know him? Does anybody know him? It's King Charles. Didn't you watch the news? King Charles. See, you know him, right? No, you don't know him. You know who he is, but you don't know him. Not many were included in his close friends. Uh, he never had has invited me over yet. I don't know why. The friends of the king are close to him, but they, uh, they still obey him. You can be a friend and a servant at the same time. Remember Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer for the king Artaxerxes. And during a captivity period of the Jewish people, he was a friend of the king, but he was also a servant of the king. And the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God, but he was also a servant of God. King David had his mighty men around him who were his friends, but the desire of those friends was to meet the king's needs, to serve him. So what kind of friend are we to Jesus? Are we an abiding friend? Are we a serving friend? Are we an obedient friend? Jesus calls those who are saved his friends. True friends delight in serving. And what is Jesus asking you to do that seems too sacrificial? Whatever it may be, it could never be compared to the price that he paid on Calvary's cross. So we are friends of the king, but then we're also servants of the king. Have you ever known someone very famous? Maybe someone very visible in the public eye? And maybe... Uh, you had an opportunity to be close to them, maybe even shake their hand or even talk to them just a little while. You know, um, I've had a few opportunities, although probably no one in the world of worldwide notoriety, although I do remember shaking hands with this man. His name was Bob Dole. I shook his hand one day when he was uh, uh, gi giving a little speech at... Uh, in Kansas, I don't know how old I was, but uh, uh, he was maybe was campaigning or something. He was a senator from Kansas, and uh, I shook his hand. Now, was I his friend? No, he doesn't. He, of course, I think he died since then, so he wouldn't remember who I was. But I've heard other well-known preachers sometimes that have preached. I've heard uh, John R. Rice in person. Uh, I've heard Jack Hiles. I've heard Billy Graham in person. We went to a Billy Graham crusade, and I heard him preach in person. I've heard Warren Wearsby. He wrote a lot of good theological books. He's quite a preacher. But I never had the opportunity to speak to them or be around them in a very close way. Now, some of you remember the name Frank Garlock, and I've mentioned him from time to time, and he was Patch the Pirate's father-in-law. 
But Dr. Garlock has traveled all over the United States giving seminars on the principles of godly music, and much of what I know about the subject I've received by sitting under his teaching. At one point, we attended the church where he was the minister of music. We sang in his choir of 150 people, both Terry and I. And uh, we, uh, after we moved on from that ministry, he and his wife were in our community speaking. And, and I don't know how we did it, but somehow we invited him and his wife over for a meal. And guess who came along? Patch the Pirate. Uh, they came over to our house. And uh, I don't know if our kids remember it. Uh, they had to eat in another room. You know, they couldn't eat the same table. We didn't have a real big dining room. We just lived in a, a townhouse. And, and, uh, but they came over to our house for a meal. Now, we went through a lot of preparation for that. So we made it a nice meal for these well-known people. Now, these men probably are not famous like King Charles or the President of the United States or even the governor of a state. But these men, I would consider some of the heroes of the faith. Now, if you know anything about Patch the Pirate, health-wise, he's not doing well now. And he, he's not doing any more singing, or, well, he does sing, but it's, not, it's in his own living room or whatever, but he's not doing very well. But, you know, if the King of England decided that he was going to come to Spooner for some reason, and he wanted to stay at my house, you think things would be normal? Things would, we would have, you know, what if he came and said, I want to come to Shell Lake and stay at your house? Or I want to come out to the farm and see all those chickens. I think you'd kind of do some cleaning up over there, probably. You know, we jumped through all kinds of hoops to prepare the best for him. And, and even though I don't consider myself close friends with these men, if I, am, if I understand God's word, I'm in the inner court of Jesus Christ. My delight should be in serving the Lord. Why is it when Jesus asks us to serve him, we respond with hesitation? When he asks us to witness to our friends or to our co-workers or whatever, we say, oh, Lord, I know I'm your friend, but I'm busy right now. I have things to do. I don't serve. I don't carry luggage. I don't get a drink of water for someone. You see, we'd be too embarrassed to do that. I wonder, are we really his friend? Or do we act like his friend? He says we're his friends. But are we acting like we're his friends? Partnership. God provides a partnership through Jesus Christ. Now, thirdly, God's love provides perspective. This is a perspective on service. Verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, 
For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have known, un I have made known unto you. Verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Since we're friends of Jesus Christ, he allows us to understand really the big picture of his purpose for our lives. He gives us a new perspective on life. Jesus said, all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. A servant really only sees a small part of the, the wall that he's building. But a friend can see everything. He can see the whole building, what it's going to look like. Jesus assures us that we're not just servants doing a job, but we're friends sharing in his vision. So, how, do we, how does he accomplish this? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit guides us. God allows the Holy Spirit to guide us in understanding the Word of God so that we can see what God's purpose is. We can get a hold of the big picture. If you go over to chapter 16 and look at verse 12, Notice what it says there in chapter 16, verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit will guide us to understanding the word of God. How can I understand the Bible? How can I comprehend God's perspective on life? The Holy Spirit will guide us in understanding these things, and he helps us to understand and follow God's true purpose for our lives. And secondly, the Lord has chosen us. Two things here that we just read uh, in, in uh, verse 16 of chapter 15. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. And you notice he, it indicates... God's purpose for our life, to bring forth fruit. He says that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and secondly, to bring forth fruit that remains. Now, the word chosen means to choose for a purpose. It does not mean that Jesus was destining some people to heaven and some people to hell. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what he's talking about. 2 Peter 3.9 dispels the myth that when it conveys that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, Revelation 22.17 extends the invitation to anyone who wants to be saved when he says, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So God has a purpose for your life, and he's revealed that purpose to you to abide in him. He's chosen you. That word ordained there is a word means placed into ministry. Every child of God has been placed into ministry. Perhaps you only thought that preachers were ordained. Now, according to that verse, every child of God has been ordained or chosen placed into ministry. Every saint is to be called a servant. Jesus desires that every Christian should serve in ministry. Why? 
The answer is right here in verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Some time ago, there was a headline in San Francisco, 1,000th person jumps the Golden Gate off the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, I don't know that headlines pretty uh, is not very recent. It's it's years ago, I think, and I don't know how many more people have jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. But that was an interesting headline in a city that flaunts civil rights and perversion, and to say that a thousand people have jumped off the bridge into eternity. What a powerful reminder that sin never satisfies. There are three primary reasons why people consider suicide. Number one, they feel as though no one loves them. Number two, they feel that they have no true friends. And number three, they believe they have no purpose in life, no reason for living. It's amazing the three things of our hearts cry out most, Jesus has promised. Jesus has promised his love for us. Jesus has promised that he will be our friend and we will be his friend. Jesus has promised to give us a purpose in life, a reason for living. And he invites us into this abiding relationship with him where we can find true love, close friendship, and eternal purpose. What a wonderful provision by a wonderful Savior. It was Harriet Beecher Stowe in her booklet, How to Live on Christ, made this statement. How does the branch bear fruit? Not by incessant effort for sunshine and air, not by vain struggles, it simply abides in the vine, in silent and undisturbed union, and blossoms and fruit appear as of spontaneous growth. You know, as you and I abide in Christ, a wonderful transformation takes place. You become like him. God's ultimate will for every believer is to be conformed to the image of his Son. And this really kind of culminates the and ends the study of abiding in Christ in chapter 15. We're going to move on to some other passages, uh, the Lord willing, next week. But uh, we'll continue to study this relationship of abiding in Christ in other passages in the New Testament. And I trust there'll be a blessing and a help to us. Let's pray.